My guest this week I consider a true comedic genius. His ability to sound like any singer led him to open for two of my comedy heroes, Rodney Dangerfield and George Carlin. He's also the writer of Rodney's 1983 classic film, Easy Money, and hit song, Rappin' Rodney. He also shares the record of the comedian I've seen in person five times, along with George Carlin and, Ra- and Gilbert Gottfried. It is a privilege to welcome Dennis Blair. Thank you, Dennis. How you doing? I'm doing great. Good. How's it in Nevada? Yeah, we live in Las Vegas. We've been here for about a little over seven years now, and uh, it was working out really well until the pandemic hit. Mm. But, you know, we've been working a lot and all that stuff, but uh, it's still fine. we got we got a nice house, and we're hanging in there, so everything's good. That's good. Um, so tell me, who were your earliest comedy influences? Well, um, it's so funny because my career started as a musician, so mm-hmm. I really wasn't in, I mean, I liked comedy, but I, I didn't, I wasn't the thing where I heard a comic and went, that's what I want to do. But the people I loved were, oddly enough, George Carlin. Uh, my brother would bring home Shelley Berman and Bob Newhart albums, mm-hmm. and I loved those. And I think my most influential person um, is Steve Martin. Um, oh, yeah. You know, just his whole presentation and just the, the way, you know, he never got serious about anything. He wasn't trying to change anything with his comedy. He was just a big goofball. And I just really loved that. I, I, I hopefully, some of that spirit seeped into my later work. But I always remember thinking, yeah, Steve Martin, man, he's the guy I think that got my juices flowing. Hmm. I mean, to this day on Twitter, he he only says things that are like goofy and funny. He doesn't yeah, get serious. I I mean, yeah, he never gets political. And you know, again, when I was doing comedy, when I was already doing it, I got very much into Bill Hicks for a while. Mm. Um, but that was before. But that was while I was now now a comedian. You know, before I did comedy with Steve Martin, and I really was starting to uh, love Bill Hicks, and you know, a lot of other people too. But those are the guys that spring to mind. But Steve was just great. He could just. You know, he doesn't have to worry about like being politically correct or incorrect. He just goes out and does his story, went out and did his thing, and it would be really effective and hysterical. So then what musicians were you a fan of? Oh, my God, how much time do you have? I got as much time as you've given. Beatles started it for me. I, I, when I, I always had a musical ability. I was always pretty good at, uh, you know, singing and stuff like that. Um, my mother made me take accordion lessons when I was like 10 years old. Mm. And as you might guess, it wasn't really a very effective uh, tool for getting girls to like you, playing right. the accordion. Uh, I didn't exactly get invited to too many people's houses. But, you know, I stuck with it and it developed my ear. And then when the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan, that was it. I started playing guitar and uh, that started everything off for me, uh, singing and playing-wise. And then after the Beatles, there were so many people, Neil Young, Jane Taylor, um, uh, who else? The Who, I love The Who, um, Grateful Dead, uh, all sorts of things. And I was in a, I was in a bluegrass band, and, and we would do like we would do bluegrass versions of songs by Al Green. Mm. And uh, that, opened up, that opened up my vistas a lot, too. So, yeah, there's just so many. I mean, Eric Clapton. I love the band. Yeah. Yes. And, and and later on in the 2000s, I started, and I loved Nirvana, and that led me to the Pixies, who are still like my favorite band in the world. Mm. I just love those guys. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, and there's always new people coming up. Jason Isbell right now is one of my all-time favorites. He's a great writer. So, yeah, we could go on for hours with my musical influences. Okay. <laughs> you can see them because you can, you're able to, uh, copy them on stage. Yes. Well, of course that helps too because my act is so musical anyway. And you know, I'll take all of my I'll take all of my heroes and do parodies on them. And people that I don't like, I'll also do parodies on them. But you can't tell because if I'm an equal opportunity guy. I'll, I'll do parodies of who I hate and who I like. You know. Right. Yep. That definitely that definitely contributes to my comedy persona. That's for sure. So the first time you did stand up was at Dangerfields in New York. Comedy. I was in a. I was playing guitar and singing cover songs in a bar called Fern's Harness Shop that was in Roslyn, Long Island. Okay. And you know, I'm on the stage and I'm doing my songs and nobody's listening because that's what happens. You know, you're in a bar, no one's really. You know, you just kind of back 
Mm-hmm. But I'm up there going, no one's listening to me, man. You know, what, what's wrong with these people? I'm pouring my heart out. So I got really pissed off. And during a break, I just said, I'm going to take one of the popular songs of the day and just change the lyrics. And the song was uh, Staying Alive by the Bee Gees. Mm. And uh, I, I, I did my own version called Singing Too High. And I came back on stage and I did my I did a James Taylor song, then a Paul Simon song. Oh, Paul Simon's another guy I love, by the way. I did a Paul Simon song, and then I did my parody of the Bee Gees that I just wrote, and people started paying attention, and then they were laughing at it. So I went, oh, this is how you get attention. So I started doing song parodies more and more at that gig, and then I started doing some stand-up in the middle. So that's where I first did stand-up uh, in Long Island at that club. And then when I got 30 minutes to, together of an act, sort of, I went to Dangerfield and auditioned there. That's how that started. So you were originally from Long Island? Yes, New York boy. Born and raised. What, what part of Long Island? Whitestone, Queens. Okay. Yeah. I was born in Massapequa and I live in Wantaw. Okay, perfect. Well, there you go. We moved, we moved out to Port Jefferson for a while before I moved to L.A. in the 80s. Mm. So uh, we're, we, we probably know a lot of the same places. Yeah, and I technically was born in Glen Oaks, Queens, which is... Just close to you too. Well, there you go. Well, there you go. Well, no matter. No wonder we get along. <laughs> so, uh, so Rodney saw you one night? Yeah, we auditioned uh, on a Sunday night, which was open mic night at Dangerfield. So we moved into Manhattan about mm-hmm. a couple months before that. And someone told me, uh, hey, they have uh, they have audition nights at Dangerfield. And I'm doing comedy now here and there. And I said, well, I'm going to go try it out. You know, so I went down. I lived literally four blocks away from Dangerfield on the Upper East Side, 65th and 1st. And I sat there. I got there at like 8 o'clock. And all these people were going on. And nobody was – they weren't putting me on. And now it's midnight and I'm still not on. And finally, these two friends of mine that came, this guy and his beautiful, this beautiful girlfriend he had, went up to the MC and kind of rubbed up against the MC and said, well, we're here to see Dennis Blair. Would you uh, do you think you'll be going on to do this? I was on within five minutes. No. And luckily, I don't know, it was one of those, you know, stars aligning things where people were starting to get tired because they've seen a lot of the same kind of act that whole night. And I came up and I did my musical thing and it went really well. And then after that, the, uh, the club owner came up and said, hey, you want to open for Jackie Mason next week? And I said, yeah. So I did. And I went for Jackie Mason the following week. And that's when Rodney saw me. He came in on Friday or Saturday of that week and saw me and said, hey, how you like what you do? What do you do? We, that's how it all started with Rodney. And then Rodney was the headliner for the following week, and I opened for him. That's how that whole thing got started with me and Rodney. And that was, what, 1978, 1979? 1979, the end of 1979. Yeah, like the, October or something mm. like that. Yeah. So he was actually about going down to film uh, Caddyshack at that point. Caddyshack, and I guess he would come back, and uh, I don't know if they were, it, it, it might have been, you know, they might have been editing and, and you know, yeah. stuff by that time, because he was back at his club. Um, and, uh, yeah, so my timing couldn't be more perfect, because, you know, after Caddyshack came out, he was the hottest comic in America. And by that time, he liked what I did, and uh, he liked that I opened for him, and we became friends, and he said, hey, you want to come on the road with me and do 3,000 seat theaters? And I off like one billionth of a second and said, yeah, I got nothing planned. Right. And he started taking me on the road. And since you're, you know, you did a lot of music in your act, you were perfect for like Don Kirshner's rock concert and Midnight Special. Right. And Solid yeah, Gold. Yeah, especially with the Rodney connection, you know, uh, I was able to like open those doors. With those. And, uh, you wrote on the Rodney Dangerfield show, It's Not Easy Being Me. The first one's called It's Not Easy Being Me, and that was the one where Bill Murray is the psychiatrist. Right, okay, yeah. So I got to write, uh, I got to help write the, uh, the Mikado sketch. You know, yes. That, uh, that he did write. So we wrote that together, and uh, I remember uh, we used to hang out at this bar in Manhattan called J.P. 
Ortiz, who was an after hours play. Okay. And and uh, Bill's brother John Murray was uh, the bartender there. So Bill would stop in every once in a while. And uh, I remember he was there one night. Someone told him, Hey, Dennis Blair's here. He's had this uh, wrote that Picado sketch. Bill came right over. He said, You wrote that sketch? Yeah, I love that sketch. That was good. Very fantastic sketch. I mean, what, what part did you do? Did you do just to show you? I'm like, Yeah, I'm talking to Bill Murray. And I'm trying to keep my cool, you know. Right. And, yeah, I, was, I, I did some of the music and, you know, we wrote some of the jokes and all that stuff. So. It's like, it's amazing. I mean, you know, after after not being anything for a, a year before that, here these people like talking to Bill Murray about a sketch that I loved. We couldn't plan this stuff, you know. Yeah, and I also had uh, I talked to Stephen Campman, who was on that writing staff too. Oh yeah, I remember that name. I don't remember much about him, but uh, Ronnie and I did a lot of our writing for that together. Right. The apartment. So yeah. I actually know Jim Signorelli. Now, what is he still doing things? Because I haven't seen his, his. Is he still with SNL? Is I don't think so. Okay. Is what's he doing now? Do you know? I don't know. I think he's retired. Oh, okay. Okay. And then you yeah, also. This yeah. Movie. This is his first movie, and then he did Elvira, Mistress of Dark. Right. Right. And you were in Easy Money, right? taken and he goes how old are you and she goes i'm this and he goes call me when you're this which no, of course nobody can see that but yeah Because you wrote the uh, I Can't Take It No More special with him as well. Yes, that was, that's the one with Valerie Perrine? No, that's the first one. Oh, the first one. Okay, I, I don't I don't remember the names of these specials. I know Paul Wilson was in one. Oh, Robert Urich. Um, that was the, yeah, that was the second one. I Can Take It No More. It was Robert Urich and the last appearance of Indy Kaufman. Right, right, exactly. As Dr. Yeah. Vinnie Boombatz. Form in a rap form and put that, put them into the 
did that, and then we came up with the chorus, and um, that was that. So it was nominated for a Grammy. I'll get one, but um, but uh, it was kind of a kind of a minor hit for Friday. Oh, I have it on my Spotify. I've heard it like thousands of times. Um, Is it on Spotify? Yeah. Uh, Well, no, your name is is uh, is there as a writer of that song. Okay, good. good. So I, I should be I should be rolling in tons and tons of quarters. On Spotify. <laughs> well, Spotify actually doesn't pay at all, so. Yeah, I know. Oh, but uh, right. Father Guido Seducci was also there on that special. Yes, yes, and uh, it's funny because we I, we got to reunite on when I when I hooked up with Joan Rivers and uh, Joan would always use this was like in the mid eighties and Joan was. Again, I always lucked out in like hooking up with these comics who were like super hot, you know. This was her time, and uh, she would go on the road and like sell out theaters and casinos and stuff. And she always used uh, two opening acts for some reason. We can never figure that out why she felt she needed two one musical act and one comedy act. And uh, one day, yeah, you know, I was usually the comic, or, but, but sometimes she made me the musical act because I did guitar. And then Father Guido Sarducci, Don Novello, was on the bill for a week or two in Lake Tahoe. So I was considered the music act, and Father Guido went on before me. So, But he was the nicest guy. I don't know if you ever met Don Novello. Sweet guy. Very Un- funny. No, unfortunately, unfortunately, I was supposed to have him on the show, but he has no idea about anything about technology. <laughs> so he can't talk on a phone? He doesn't have a cell phone? He doesn't understand how it would work. There was a falling out with Rodney. Right. And you started working for Joan Rivers. Yeah. And she had you on the Tonight Show. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, Rodney, well, you know, I'll do the short version. You know, I was with Rodney, and Rodney, Rodney was an interesting guy. He would, he would think that people were stealing jokes from him when they weren't. Uh, you know, Joan and Rodney had similar styles, you know, fast-paced, one-liner kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, didn't she use Gary Shannon a lot? Yes. As a matter of, yeah, the first time I worked with Joan, she had, uh, she came in, it was in Massachusetts. She had Gary Shanley with her and her husband, Edgar. And uh, luckily, my show went really well. You know, that you want the, want the show that the star is watching to go well. And luckily it did. And I heard from somebody at the theater, someone came up to me who was a friend of mine, say, yeah, Gary doesn't think you're right for the show. I said, why? I don't know. He just doesn't think you're right. But I never found out what his problem was, but it, it dissipated pretty quickly. We became friends pretty soon after everything was fine. Uh, and Gary was tons of fun. He was a great guy. Would he ask people? Would he ask people in real life how was his hair? Yes, he asked me all the time. As a matter of fact, I remember. I remember I watched the Tonight Show once, and I said, I called up and said, 
that's a great shot. It's really funny. He goes, how did my hair look? I mean, that wasn't a put on. It was, he was actually scared. I remember coming back from a gig once with Joan and, and we prepped Gary's um, hotel room and his doors ajar and he was on he was on the phone with Brad Gray, mm. his manager. <laughs> All I could hear was uh, like mumble, mumble, mumble my hair. Mumble, mumble, mumble. It was like he was asking Brad if there were any doors open at midnight so he can get loose for his hair. I mean, he, was, he really had a thing about it. Bit of an obsessive personality. But funny. Yes, and his hair was always nice. It's always wonderful. I, I, I envied his hair. I had okay hair, but man, it's perfect. Perfect hair. And you appeared in Rover Dangerfield, though. So something, did you get back in Rodney's Good Graces? or? Uh, yeah, Rodney, um, when I moved to California in 1987, I did the Laugh Factory there a lot. And Rodney would show up with his new wife, Joan, and, you know, he would do a guest spot. And once or twice I ran into him. And, you know, this was like, I don't know, 10 years after, nine or 10 years after we had broken up, quote, unquote. And uh, he was friendly. He said, oh, hi, Rodney. He goes, hey, how you been? You know, like bygone speaking. I don't know. Someone told me that he turned to Joan when I went on stage and said, why am I mad at him again? Like he forgot, you know. So I always ask this one question of people who work with Rodney: Have you seen Have you seen him in the uh, the famous robe? requests at some point during your act or at least you do when i saw you in the 80s who was the most requested person you think
Right. That's how that worked out. Mm-hmm. So you had to keep your eye on or your ear on what's happening in music. Right. But it was easy because MTV was everywhere in mm. those days. You know, there weren't 8 million cable channels yet. So you could pretty much figure out who the top people were. And, you know, it wasn't as fragmented. The music industry wasn't as fragmented as it mm. is today. Uh, so everyone knew the same artist, you know. So if like someone yelled out Adamant, what would you do? <laughs> that was one where I'd have to. Uh, here's what I would do: <laughs> if somebody yelled out Adamant, and usually if you ask a request, it'd be like 50, 60 people yelling out. So Adamant, I could just conveniently uh, pretend I didn't hear it. Gotcha. And, and go to the guy, and go to the guy who was yelling out Michael Jackson. Did you say Michael Jackson? Sometimes the guy who yelled out the Adamant type guy would be pretty. Adamant. Just trying to think of like somebody who would not be somebody. Elvis, would you have an Elvis Costello? Yeah, I did an Elvis Costello. Every day I like to cook. The, uh, uh, there you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, again, Elvis Costello. Even then, I think was one of those like only a, a certain amount of the audience would get that joke because he wasn't like a huge. You know, right. He wasn't like a on everywhere kind of song. But I would do it. I would do that for my. People that did get it, you know. Right. Yeah. The first time I saw you uh, was SUNY Albany in October of 1995. Okay. You were opening for George Carlin, right. and you took a request, and mm-hmm. somebody yelled out Kurt Cobain, mm-hmm. and you put your head right into the um, microphone, so it made like a, a sound of like a bullet. Which I thought was great because, you know, I am, you know, I'm a freshman and I have been living with these people for a year and a half who thought that, you know, like Jesus had just died. Yeah, right. And you're taking them apart. Well, you can't, you know, you can't have any reverence when you're doing comedy. You just have to go for it. You know I mean? I, I, and I was a big Nirvana fan, don't get me wrong. No, right. So it's like, but, you know, but that's a joke. You know, what else, what else is the joke going to be except, you know, that? Right. Oh, it did well. Yeah. And then I got to see you every uh, time uh, George had a new special. I went to the Westbury Music Fair. Oh, great. Oh, that was a great place. That was 3,000 people in the round. Yep. Uh, yeah, it was wonderful. It was a great, it was a great theater. I assume it's not called Westbury anymore. I don't think that's it. Uh, NYCHB Bank at oh, in Westbury or something like that. Yeah. I saw it. Short was I saw Martin Short there and he was and he was basically making fun of the name for like ten minutes. Yeah, yeah. With, with Steve Martin or just by himself? No, this was before he did it with Steve Martin. Okay. I'd love to see that. Did you say uh, this is like I'm making fun of stuff that's already joke? Uh, you mean like a like a novelty song or a song that was like so ridiculous it wasn't even worth joking about? Ex- yeah. Baby Shark? Uh, 
Uh, maybe parents didn't want to hear it on their date night at the comedy maybe. club. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. Or does that actually have words? That song? It's like baby shark, do, 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 then mama shark, and daddy yeah. shark. Yeah. favorite parts of comedy and my favorite part of your act is just it's improv but it's just right. so quick you're just so quick well that, that's the enjoyable i mean i really i really love it on those nights like there's a club i do in in sarasota it's called mccurdy's comedy theater i'm not familiar with it mm, no. it's one of my favorite places to work because the audiences are always really great and you know that loosens you up and sometimes they'll just start talking to you, like at the beginning. And now I've had shows there where I start my regular show, and within two minutes someone says something, and it just goes off the rails. And then someone starts yelling out, can you do this guy? And then like it becomes a request, and then that leads to other things. And it's a totally improv show. And when I say improv, it's like there's a lot of stuff that I have in the arsenal already, but some of it's not. And, and uh, I just love it. it. It's basically when I don't get to do my show, and it's great because, you know, it, it just makes you feel like, oh, I can, I can come up with shit off the top of my head. And I did one show there one night, and it was it was really fun, and I came up, and the owner of the club, Les McCurdy, who's also a comedian, he went on stage and said, did you enjoy Genesis, Genesis' show? And people went, yeah. And he said, well, that wasn't it. Come back on another night to see his actual show. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's fun, you know, just like it's just improving everything. And, and luckily, I tape all my shows or, or I was just going to ask you that. you five times and you've never bombed. You did great, and then George Carlin came out, and he did. He was prepping for his new special, and it was the one. It wasn't the last one. It was the one before the last one, where he does like half an hour on suicide. Yeah. <laughs> and the crowd was booing and and leaving, and he was like, "Fuck you, you Long Island pussies!" And I loved it. I thought it was a star. Found out, of course, he was starting to suffer from, you know, calcium deposits. 
in his arteries and mm. he was trying to kick an, uh, an addiction to red wine and uh, that, that explains it you know so right. uh, but yeah the whole suicide thing he was just getting darker on stage and wanted to talk about things you know George always wanted to talk about things that he wanted to talk about and didn't really factor in the audience all that much here's what I want to discuss and this you know this planet is, is messed up and then people suck and all that stuff and there was just that period there when I guess I don't know people thought it was too dark for them or something but you know it was George being George you know I mean one of my, he's my probably my favorite comedian him and Rodney and Steve Martin are my two three favorite comedians so, and Steve yeah. Martin's the only one I haven't seen. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, George was, I mean, there was, I remember that first night where I, I felt pretty good about my show, you know, because it's the first night and the audience had been real good for me. And then I went out feeling pretty buzzed and I'm watching George and like after 20 minutes, I'm going, oh, this is how you do this. You know, this is how you do it. It's right. Amazing. You know, and I, you know, I'll never be anywhere near as great as he is, you know, because so, yeah, I mean, I was. I was a huge fan, you know, from even before I was doing comedy. So just, just a great experience all around to, to be with him, to, to, to travel with him. And he also, um, he came up with, uh, you, know, you know, the modern man routine? Yeah. He came up with that uh, in Florida, uh, theater in Florida, I think it was Miami. And I was, you know, in my dressing room, he came over to visit like he'd always often do and say, hey, Dennis, or dentist, as he called me, hey, dentist. I got this new piece I'm going to throw in. Uh, can I do it for you? And yeah. And it was a whole modern mess. It was like five minutes. And he'd never done it before. And he'd just come up with it, you know, over the last couple of, I don't know, a week or something like that. And he said, I said, that's great, George. It's amazing. And, you know, most comedians, right, they'll put in a new joke here and there. Or, you know, they'll drop in something new from the minute or something. He not only did that five minutes that night, he opened with it. Mm. And, uh, and it's like, oh my God, what confidence, you know, that, but, you know, he earned the right to, because uh, they were his audience, and, and it was a great piece, and he knew it, he just wanted a little confirmation from me, but more like I got to say no, you know, okay. that's a great choice, it's fantastic, you know, so, yeah. I actually got a chance to meet him, which was, like, which was great, at of all places, at Shea Stadium. Oh, okay. He was a, he's a, he was a big Met fan. And I'll tell you my story after yours. Go ahead. Okay, cool. And um, he, I, it was the first game that the Mets were playing the uh, Roger Clemens and the Yankees after Clemens hit Piazza with the with, with the ball in the head. Okay. And yeah. I'm online and I'm getting a hot dog, and Piazza hits a home run off of a Clemens, and all of a sudden, I, the guy behind me, I hear go, "He did it! He hit a home run off the bastard!" I'm like, I'm like. <laughs> That guy sounds like George Carlin. <laughs> and I turn around, the guy behind me is George Carlin. Oh, my God. Complete yeah. with green, the, the Irish St. Patrick's Day Mets uniform, hat, and green yeah. sweatpants. <laughs> That's great. Did you talk, did you get the I talked to him. And yeah. I was like, I had nothing to get autographed, no pens, no nothing. I'm like, ah, I'll just tell people. Yeah. Well, one again, I knew he was a you know we were both Mets fans, so we had that bond. And one day, I think we were between shows. You know, one we had a day off in New York. Do you want to go to Shea Stadium, hang out, batty practice? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This was 1989, Mm. so you know, I mean, we still had the the 1986 nucleus that Keith Hernandez and Strawberry and and all those guys, uh, uh, Carter. And uh, it was a little drizzly that day, so they called batting practice off early. But by the time we got there, we, we just hung out in the dugout. He brought me to the dugout. And Hernandez comes up, and I get to meet all these guys. And Fish Hernandez, mm. who some of, you know, some, I don't know if some of your listeners might not remember or not care, he, like, got one of the, he didn't get the final out. I think he got the final out of game six or something as a relief pitcher for the Mets. He, he came in, and when he came in, it was 3 nothing and held it at 3 nothing so the Mets could come back. Right. In game seven. Right. Okay, thank you. So, uh, and uh, Sister Hernandez comes and sits next to me, and George is talking to Keith Hernandez or something, and, and, and Sister Hernandez is sitting next to me, and uh, he, I swear to God, he looked like he was 12. He looked, you know, he looked so young, for mm-hmm. example, and he's talking to me going, yeah, so what's it like working with George? Is it fun? He's like, he's like a fan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so you go 
Rodney had that thing with the Mets for a couple of years where, you know, the second game of the season got no respect, so it was Rodney Dangerfield Day. Right, right, exactly. Yep. So there's a picture of him in, the, in 86 in a uniform uh, in the dugout. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that one. I didn't know Rodney was uh, – we never talked sports with Rodney. I don't think he was a baseball fan. I just think the whole idea that the Mets were going to have a no respect second yeah. game day would, you know, right, in, right. interest him. Right. So, with Robbie, you know, I mean, especially with his top people, being uh, James Brown was in the audience one day, and wow. Blanca, you know, and, 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 uh, Tom Newman. Uh, I was opening for um, Sarah Vaughn at the, at the club in like 1981 or something like that. And uh, Paul Newman was in the audience. And uh, I thought, well, thanks for telling me before I go on. Really appreciate the fact that right. peeing my pants while I'm up there. Um, Luckily, it was a good show. I came off stage. One of the waiters says, "Hey, slow down! Paul Newman's running after you." Okay, and I'm going. I felt my I felt myself lose leave my body at that point mm. because I'm like because Paul Newman catches up and goes, "Hey, I'm Paul Newman." I go, "Hi." He goes, "That was a great show." And he starts he starts asking me how I write. Like you know, so do you do the same stuff every night? Is it is it it's hard to do this? And I'm like trying to answer him like you know, well yeah, I pretty much do. But I'm like going crazy inside, going, "Holy shit!" When you hear like uh, musicians in the audience, are you gonna make fun of him in your act? Like you said, um, you just said uh, Paul Anka. Yeah. So would you, well, if you if you knew he was in there, would you do a Paul Anka song? Yes, because I did it. <laughs> I have two stories about that along that line. Did a, I used to do Paul Anka used to have a song called "You Have It, My Baby." Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't remember if I knew he was in the audience. This was in uh, in Vegas. But I, my, my parody was, you're having my baby. What a lovely way to say I need better protection. That was, mm-hmm. you know, that was got a big laugh. I come off stage. Yeah, uh, Paul Newman was in the audience. Here's his room number. He wants you to call him. I go, damn it, I'm going to get sued. <laughs> He's going to hate me. I call up. I gather my... My, my nerve, I call up, hi, Paul, yeah, Dennis Blair, I was the opener for, but he goes, Dennis, Dennis, I, I want you over for me, over me, like, uh, yeah, he wanted, wanted to give me a tour, uh, and so instead of being sued, uh, I, I, I got offered a tour, but I couldn't do it because I was with Ferrate, but, uh, but I wound up doing one weekend at Universal Amphitheater with him, so that's that story. Another night, uh, Carlin, uh, Eminem was in the audience, mm. was opening for Carlin, and uh, I used to do a little take off on, on Eminem and uh, George said to me don't not do that joke you better not do that but you better not not do that joke because Eminem in the audience and I said oh, I'll do it you know I'll definitely do it I wanted to be edgy you know <laughs> and uh, I do the joke and I hear the audience laugh and after the audience laughter died down I heard one person going ha 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 Bee Gees heard my thing, and they liked it. I never got to meet them, though. No. Yeah, I, the early, your early, the early um, stuff I watched of yours on YouTube from Don Kirsch's rock concert and all those other things. You did the uh, singing too high. Right. Yeah, that was my first ever. That was the first one that night at Burns Harness Show. That was the first one ever. That that's the one that made me. I owe the Bee Gees my career. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And you did an episode of the George Carlin Show. Contests and 
the audience hate you, you're screwed because you're there for four hours. Yep. And that, ha that happened to me on Drew Carey. I had one of the worst experiences that I'll never forget. I mean, the audience, I don't know what I did to these people. It was like I screwed their moms. I don't know what it was. But, uh, they hated me from the beginning, and I could never get them in four hours of, of nightmare. So, you know, yeah, I envied those late nights. Yeah, I'd warm up the cone in 20 minutes. It was a uh, dream. That would have been great. But luckily, I didn't have to do it too much. Right. I, uh, I went to see the the new Cosby show in 1996. Okay. And Godfrey was opening for him. Was okay. doing the warm up. I mean. You mean Gilbert? No, the, as a comedian, African American named Godfrey. Oh, okay. And you know, props were breaking. The set was breaking, and he had to like go through it. He had to like, he was pulling people out of the audience. He pulled me. I mean, he's like, does anybody do any impressions? And I'm like, yeah, I do impressions, and. He's like, well, who are you doing? I was like, I do Jackie Mason, and and I just started doing Jackie Mason, and he wouldn't, st he didn't stop me. So I did like five minutes of Jackie Mason, and then Bill Cosby came out of his dressing room because wow. he wanted to know what the heck was going on. And he was like, he's like, he comes up, and he goes, "Can you do me?" And I'm like, I'm like, uh, no, Mr. Cosby. I mean, I. Everybody could do Bill Cosby. But I'm like, no, Mr. Cosby. He goes, I'll show you. So you do this, and then he's just showing me how to do the Bill Cosby that everybody does. That's great. That's a great story. Yeah, and then he took me back, gave me a drink, and I don't remember anything else. <laughs> yeah, well, he had a reputation. I don't know if you know about this. He's had some problems, but, you know, again, we're not to discuss it on this show, particularly. Oh, well. I remember very specifically one. I forget, you know, I, I would do other sitcoms because I did Carlin's show. That's how Christopher Guest gets his uh, inspiration. From where? He's met, that's Jamie Lee Carter's husband. Oh, oh, yeah. I forgot. I forgot that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he's got an entire closet full of tied shoelaces together. Lucky guy. And this one's for Spinal Tap. This one's for... Yeah, right. Uh, and he did something called Ask Rita. It's on your, it's on your uh, IMDb play page. Really, I gotta read my IMDb one. And my name is Chester. Really? You don't know that either. You know, I gotta, I gotta. I, you know, I think there's somebody that adds stuff to my IMDb, and I have no idea what it is. You did I do didn't it. Read one. It was just with Rita Rudner. Yes. Well, I'm sure I've done stuff with Rita. I just thought, was that a TV show? It was, I don't know if it was a TV show or an internet show, but it was like she was taking questions and you were the guest comedian. Huh. Almost like Love Line. Almost like Love Line. This is the kind of thing where if my wife was here, she'd be listening to this. She'd go, you idiot. Don't you remember we did this? Well, she has a better memory than I do for this. Gotcha. I can't remember. Can't remember you doing the show. It was like the biggest highlight of your life. I'm like, yeah, all right. Yeah, just... I just I forget things. And she remembers she remembers jokes I did and things from my act that I don't even remember doing. So I but, wish she was here. She's out right now. I she can't help. Ask Rita and what's the Chester? My name is Chester. My name is Chester. What was that? Uh, I can look it up for you right now. <laughs> Cheddar. Now you put that out of of country songs, correct? Yeah. yeah, that I remember. Okay. I got two now. I got two now. I got an album called Music from Big Brick. Uh, these are all original songs. And the latest one is, you know, sitting here in a middle of our... The one is that was a pretty good, like, instrumentation. And I found eight of them, uh, went into the studio with a couple of friends of mine, and, uh, 
on the news. They're available. You can just click on it. Of course, who won't be clicking on it is, is Father Guido Sarducci. But that, <laughs> he does not know how to do that. He does not know how to, I don't I have Spotify. I don't know. Uh, I don't know who I'm doing this. I don't know. Spotify. What is that? A music service? No, you, you will never hear these songs. But other people may. Who knows? Oh, okay. It was a guy named Richard Spazoff. Oh, I know that name. Well, you work with oh. him. It was a, a it was a documentary on your on your you and Rodney, and you played you, and I guess he played Rodney. Like you probably remember f- at least five Barry Manilow songs. Five what? Barry Manilow songs. Do I remember the title of? No, you, you probably remember five Barry Manilow songs from like making yeah, fun of. Like John Denver's catalog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all, all the important stuff I remember. One, one last, it's probably a no, but one last question. So you started working for Roddy Dangerfield in 19, late 1979. In March of yeah. 80, he hosted Saturday Night Live. Did you go with him? Mm-hmm. No. All right. No, I did not. I was not invited to go there. But I, I was there when Billy Joel, remember Billy Joel had this song called Tell Me About It? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, it, as the, the, the theme of the, the video was, it was supposed to be like the Ed Sullivan show. Yes. And, and uh, the guy, the big guy he used to do Ed Sullivan the first, uh, the first day of Sullivan, and he introduced Billy on the show. And Billy came off stage after they did the song and Rodney was about to go on. He said, hey, nice, nice song, kid. Watch this. You know, and then he went on. Then the video cut. So I was there. I think it was some theater in New Jersey or something or Long Island. So I got to hang out there. I got to, I got to meet Billy a whole bunch of times. Uh, but uh, that, that, but no, he did not bring me to Saturday Night Live. Oh. All right. I was just, uh, just wondering. I did, I did go to see Rodney do his night show uh, with a hangover because the night before he'd been out drinking at the improv and we had to convince some woman to bring him home. <laughs> So he wouldn't drink anymore because he had to do the Tonight Show the next day. So, mm. and you could tell, even though we got him to stop that next day when he did the Tonight Show, his delivery was a little bit off. So, you know, I don't know how bad it would have been if he continued. Maybe it had to cancel. But uh, I was—we were in the audience. We were in the audience for that. And Roddy kept telling me, "Okay, well, you can be in the audience, all right, but I don't want you. I want you to yell out. You know, he always had me yell out how small was it? You know, in the audience, right. just to get that that thing going." With the crowd, like you know, all right, check up from a small town, and I go out. It's funny because I had just been on stage opening for him, but I put on a baseball cap and then went out in the audience, and no one recognized me. I tell you, I was in a, I was, I was in a, I was running a small town. I yell, how small was it? And then he told him, "Go to all his jokes." And when I did, when I went to see him at the Tonight Show, he said, "Okay, come to the Tonight Show, sit in the audience, but don't yell out how small was it, Johnny. Put me on the show." He told me how to do it. <laughs> I said, okay, fine, I won't yell that. I think Johnny loved that because he could just like sit down and relax. Yeah, oh yeah, no, he was uh, he was a big Roddy fan. Once, uh, I think on, probably on YouTube somewhere, there was one appearance Rodney did where I guess Johnny wasn't laughing like he usually does. Mm. He would chuckle. But Roddy in the, the middle of the, you know, he called it the panel, you know. Uh, he'd be doing this joke or something. He turned to John and said, hey, you, you, you used to laugh me up pretty good. What's wrong today? You know, so you could tell he was upset that Johnny wasn't. Right. Well, that was the whole thing when he made him. I don't know on the set of um, Easy Money, but on back on um, Caddyshack, they had to tell him that they're not allowed to laugh because if they do, it'll ruin the scene. Right. And he, that upset yeah. Rodney, right? Because he was saying, right. no one's laughing. It's funny. We can't. Right. It's supposed to be a movie. They're not supposed to just yeah. start laughing at everything you say. Right, right, right. I'm coming. I guess these are funny. No one's laughing. But, and you go back to the hotel and go, well, you know, like, what was wrong with my jokes? And they're like, nothing. We're not allowed to laugh. It was always funny when Rodney would try a joke out on, on anybody, you know, or it'd be, they, they think this is funny that he do the joke, you know. And then I would be laughing hysterically, and he'd still go, so is it funny? I'm laughing. <laughs> That's usually a major So you, you basically work with three different types of stand-up comedians, obviously. Yeah, well, Rodney Jones, and, uh, and, and there were others, too. I mean, Alan King, uh, I worked with Jackie Mason, of course, mm. John Rivers, 
Problem because you hadn't played clubs in twenty years, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I would do an occasional club, but not much. Yeah. Well, he died, and um, luckily, um, well, no, we just say, but you know, he, he started getting cranky and irritable off stage about two years before he actually died, and then he started canceling dates because he was having heart problems, you know, and and addiction problems, I guess. And uh, this was in like two thousand five. And he died in 2008. So um, he started canceling shows. And, and I go, what's wrong? He says, oh, George is really well. And he's this and that. But, so, you know, luckily I started seeing the writing on the wall. And I started reaching out to friends and said, I might have to start doing clubs again. And luckily, you know, Elaine Boosler helped me. And Ron Schock helped mm. me. And uh, they got me into these clubs. And then I started, not that I wanted to, but I started try to get to the cruise ship thing and that started happening and so by the time George died it was like holy crap I'm out of work for a year or two or something after I had started you know and again it wasn't the same money it was a big cut in income but at least I was working and yeah but it was scary for a while the cruise thing took a while and the clubs you know by that time weren't paying all that well so you know um, but it worked out it worked out but I, I didn't really watch other comics because I was afraid that, you know, subconsciously maybe I'd pick stuff up from them or I'd, I'd come up with a joke that turned out to be one of theirs and I didn't realize it, you know. Right. And uh, so I just kind of like, I kind of like focused on just what I was doing and, uh, and I knew there were a lot of you know, parodists and guitar guys out there, but I just didn't, you know, I, I would see them occasionally um, by accident, kind of, but I just, I was just, I was afraid to, afraid to let. I didn't want to, you know, do that thing where if the subconscious picks up something and then it comes out later. Right. You know. Well, Martin Mole was a, started out as a guitar comic as well. I think I knew that. Yeah. yeah. One of my one of my all time favorites. What is it? Colleges, colleges, high school with ashtrays. That's a joke. <laughs> I know the weird thing is he would he would bring his living room furniture with him on the road. And he was it was yeah. built as Martin Mull and his fabulous furniture. Um, my and, wife just walked in. My wife just walked in. I, I forget. Ask Rita. Do you remember me doing a show called Ask Rita? Um, yeah. She remembered. Yeah, it was in Las Vegas. It was in Las Vegas. See, she has the memory. I, I remembered everything but that. And there was another thing. I was hard time. Yes. Yeah, somebody called uh, my wife my hard drive, so I'll forget. <laughs> what was the other thing? Chester? My name is Chester. My name is Chester. Which was a... Uh, I played Rodney. No, you played yourself, and somebody played Rodney. Somebody played Rodney. Okay, she doesn't remember that. Thanks, I'm not completely crazy. Yeah, I think it was a talk show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Esprit was a talk show. Okay, there you go. All right, well, there we, we got part of it. Okay. Send me those links that you can, because I'd love to see that. Uh, I'd love to remember what I do. Okay. Nine months of this crap. Okay. All right, thank you very much. And if you come to New York, I'm definitely going to be there. Okay, no problem. Okay, great. Is it on like the podcast app? Yeah, it's on. It's on. It's on Spotify. It's on um, Google Podcasts. But I'll send you everything. Okay, great. I appreciate it. But you have my email, right? Yes. Okay, great. Thanks. So Thank much. you very much. Okay.